Welcome to Cloud Out Loud podcast with your hosts, John Gallagher and Logan Gallagher. Join these two skeptical enthusiasts, or are they enthusiastic skeptics, as they talk to each other about the cloud out loud. These two gents are determined to stay focused on being lazy and cheap as they evaluate what's going on in the cloud, how it affects their projects and company cultures, and sometimes how it affects the world outside of computing infrastructure. Please remember that the opinions expressed here are solely those of the participants and not those of any cloud provider, software vendor, or any other entity. As with everything in the software industry, your mileage may vary. Welcome back to Cloud Out Loud podcast. I'm John Gallagher. And I'm Logan Gallagher. Quick review of the news of the past week, or since we last recorded, there was a Google outage that lasted, what, about an hour? Yeah. We aren't going to go into details about that. There hasn't been a post-mortem, but we will probably be covering that in a later podcast about what happened and how to code around it, because we want to be honest about existing in the cloud environment and what you need to do to be safe there. As I said, the outage lasts about an hour, but for example, there were some big services that showed problems. I can say I personally tried to go to Spotify.com and I hit a GCP load balancer error message. So it did affect a well-known customer and it did affect seemingly the global load balancing service. So and eager to hear more details, anticipate a later episode if they put out a postmortem. They definitely will. We... Our experience is that Google wants to be transparent about this. So we look forward to dissecting the postmortem and, again, setting the context that helping you to be safe in the cloud and leverage the cloud. So looks like we're continuing that today we'll just be talking about one blog entry. And it's an interesting one. It is the number four in the series of anti-patterns for Google Cloud Functions, how to handle promises correctly in your Node.js Cloud Function. And you will probably notice that we will have our own biases about the programming language in question and also the usage of promises and asynchronous calls. But the scenario that they outline is that you are trying to write to a database and you are investigating those database entries and seeing that they are either saving as undefined or a cached value. And what the blog post calls out is that it's describing a cloud function that is on a schedule, wakes up on every hour, retrieves data from one database, does its transformations, and then writes to another database. And it's doing so using some Node.js, using some asynchronous calls and the concept of promises when making those database writes. It appears that what's occurring is that there's an unhandled promise in the code that they are providing in the blog post. And when that unhandled promise does not successfully write to the database, no log message is getting written out either. So it becomes increasingly difficult to debug your code with this programming style. Okay, so let's admit our biases first. My particular bias is that I actually remember when JavaScript was introduced, it was originally intended as a very, very, very lightweight language that enhanced your browser experience. So, for example, you would embed 
JavaScript code in your website, your browser would detect that and run the code, doing things like connecting functions to a button press. So once that button, you clicked a button on a website that would call some sort of JavaScript code, maybe locally, and then introducing the, oh, I forget. (laughs) Back when we created the ability for code on your browser to invoke systems on the back end, and I'm going to come up with that about halfway through this, this to remember it, XML HTTP response. That's what I'm looking for. The ability for you to send XML to the back end. Ajax. Ajax. The short term. I kept thinking soap. No, it's not soap. It's a (laughs) cleanser. Ajax. Indeed. So you'd call Ajax and, and invoke something in the background. So that's all great. Then you had people, what I call the promotion of people who had been developing websites who then transitioned into software engineering roles, taking the JavaScript language with them. That evolved into Node.js. And they took their habits of interactive Node JavaScript along with them. So the idea then, in a browser context, is you don't have the users sitting around drumming their fingers waiting for responses to come back. You have this interactive environment. They click a button. It calls Ajax to have something happen in the back end. Then your screen is updated, what's called asynchronous. Now, when Node.js moves to the back end... It takes along all these capabilities with it. And the developers who started off coding browsers, now coding the back end, take their habits with them. So they think, oh, I'm calling a database. I better do it asynchronously. And that is not a good pattern to develop for the back end. So in the blog piece, in the code snippet that they provide, they do name the function get data from somewhere that takes a while. So it seems that they have in mind is you're doing some data retrieval that may take some indeterminate amount of time that they consider to be a while. And so they would rather do it asynchronously, presumably as some other processes are running. But if this is a function, a cloud function, my argument would be that it should be relatively limited functionality where you're not really having to think about carrying out background and foreground processes And if you are doing something like that, maybe something other than cloud functions, such as maybe cloud run, for these larger batch retrievals of data would be a good alternative. But taking them at their, you know, our biases aside, taking them at their word that they want to do this asynchronously, the blog post provides two patterns for fixing this issue where the unresolved promise is not getting caught and nothing is getting logged. One is to refactor the code. And instead of this chain of promises in your code base, utilize the async and await keywords, which is a pattern that came into Node.js a little bit later. So if you have older code, it's possible that you're not utilizing these better libraries for solving this asynchronous problem. The other solution they provide is to, instead of refactoring your whole code base, create a module for handling the logging asynchronously. And the remainder of the blog piece goes into how you could write some methods for logging and then integrate those into your logic that's doing the promise and database call and retrieval. 
Yep. And they put a particularly vibrant shade of lipstick on this pig. <laughs> the Again, our bias is why are you making an asynchronous call to a database? You are not having to interact with the user and the user is not sitting around watching a wheel spin. This is a process that's happening on the server. It is also something that has to scale. So you'd rather have the entire runtime be encompassed within the runtime of the cloud function itself. Now I can hear people already saying, but John, but Logan, you guys were talking in the last episode about how to deal with API calls that could possibly take a long time. Yes, we were. But these were external API calls where you didn't have control of the environment. You would then, you would construct an asynchronous framework that returned from the API and then sent the message to the user. So you, the problem in the previous iteration was that we had an undetermined period of time for this API call to resolve and that may exceed the runtime or the function time within Cloud Function. So it may run longer than five minutes, it airs out, nothing happens. So in those situations and those situations only, you should construct a framework, you should refactor your code where you are doing an asynchronous call and you put the framework together to, get to push the results back to your user somehow. The other thing is that I want to talk about promises and promises themselves are a good concept. They were introduced to JavaScript to handle this asynchronous situation where you may have to examine the state of the call that you made. So you call, you make this call, it returns a promise and you can examine the promise as to what the state of the function call was. Has it, is it still in process? Is it undetermined? Has it completed? If it's completed, then you get a return object. All well and good. The trouble is that promises are now conflated with what's called vettable code. That we have a chain of functions that we put together in what's called a promise chain, which is bad, it should be a then chain, where you say foobar dot then black dot then widget code dot then all done catch. So properly constructed, that final catch is going to catch any error in that sequence. But you have created unreadable and unmaintainable code. If someone needs to go in there and change the sequence, or if someone needs to go in there and insert some sort of action, it is incredibly painful and dangerous to rewrite that code. The slippage of what sort of, if you're in the dot then chain, you're dependent on the promise that's, or the response coming back from the previous one. You don't, it isn't immediately obvious as to what's being returned. And then you have the lazy people who do inline function code. Those people leave my code reviews chapped and with a big X through it saying rewrite. So one of the lessons or one of the reasons I would like people to look at this is they do talk about the fact that not only is this code got to run reliably, it's got to be readable and it's got to be maintainable. So you can't do a whole bunch of dot thens. You can't have all these side effects as a result of promise and depend on them. If you're going to come through my code review, you need to be explicit about what each function is returning and how you're reacting to what's returning. Yeah, the only thing I would add is with this particular example that they provided of a Lambda function 
doing a background data transformation process, that this becomes even more important because you are dealing with your data model. And obviously, this is code that if you are retrieving data, doing some transformations, and then storing it is likely business-critical information that you care a lot about. And so writing code that's difficult to understand, difficult to read, difficult to maintain, you are definitely doing a disservice to your future self or whoever's in that role in the future. They call out some solutions in this piece. One I might add would be possibly using something like TypeScript, the typed superset of JavaScript that transpiles into vanilla JavaScript, and leveraging those data typings to make sure that you know you're touching the correct data, that you're manipulating it in a predictable way, and you have that safety for especially the next person that has to read this code base down the line, whether it's yourself <laughs> or someone else. Oftentimes, neither of those people understand what you had written before. Another thing is you have to understand the, the context that this code runs in. Originally, JavaScript, as I said before, was meant to run in a browser context. So if it threw an error, if there was some sort of problem with it, you had someone that you could communicate to. You could dump it to a log, you can pop up an error pop-up, something could happen. In the back end, even though you're writing to console.log, where does it go? Now, fortunately, in the major cloud providers and something like Cloud Functions or in Lambda and AWS, it goes to those errors are captured in a centralized facility. But just assuming that the errors are going to be caught and eventually reviewed is destructively lazy. Now, I say often that my preferred option is always lazy and cheap, but I want to be creatively lazy. I want to use things to push things forward that I don't have to revisit. So I want to use, for example, TypeScript, and I want to catch problems with type at compile time, way before I've deployed it in the cloud. I want to make sure that my console.log dumps out into the cloud error protection. So I may directly call that because it's cloud function call. The code is going to run in the context of cloud operations. So what we're biased towards is taking the cloudy approach to developing this stuff. Use the tools. Be aware of the tools. And be aware of the capabilities of the tools. So rather than just vanilla node.js, write it in TypeScript, compile it with TypeScript, and then deploy it as vanilla node.js. Save yourself some errors. It seems like a violation of my lazy and cheap, but it's not. There's a classic analysis of how much a bug costs you. If you catch a bug at developer time, it may cost 1x of something. Let's say a buck. If QA catches it, meaning that other people have examined it, you've had to set up the infrastructure, etc., it may cost you 10x. If it gets out into production, it may be 100x, it may be infinite cost if it costs you a customer. So be lazy, be cheap. Let the infrastructure help you catch the bugs early with something like TypeScript and collect the bugs in a central place with the cloud operations capability. Absolutely. I think only thing I'd have to add is if you're doing an ETL pipeline, maybe look into data flow <laughs> instead of cloud functions. But... That is your prerogative. Google offers many different services to solve similar problems, but Dataflow, their managed data pipeline 
service is incredibly powerful and incredibly scalable and knows how to do things massively parallelizable. So I would absolutely encourage folks to investigate that service. Excellent. Okay. So by the way, it's definitely worthwhile reading this blog entry, understanding what they're talking about, making sure that you set the context. And if you are a Node.js programmer, if you are someone who's looking to deploy systems based on Node.js, have a little rethink. Maybe do an initial compile and TypeScript. Make sure that you're doing code reviews based on the knowledge that you gain from this blog entry and hopefully knowledge you gain from our discussion here. And be defensive. Make sure that you're catching errors early, catching them often, and not deploying things that are writing undefined or pre-cached values to the database. Well, I think that captures our thoughts on this blog post. Yes. A little preview of next time is that there is a part five of the anti-pattern series that we'll be taking a look at for looking at how to run background processes correctly, if ever, in Python. So something to look forward to in a different programming language, which we also have plenty of thoughts about. Absolutely. You know, we've thoroughly dumped on JavaScript. Now let's move to Python. Yes, indeed. Okay. So thank you for joining us. We enjoy doing this. Please give us your thoughts, and I'm sure that that thoughts will develop as a result of our semi-slagging approaches to working with JavaScript. Please feel free to either put in comments, keep them above the YouTube level, or send us email on the email you see listed, and we'll see you again talking about Python background processes. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cloud Out Loud podcast. Please let us know in comments if you caught either of the gents calling a product or technology by the wrong name. Other information and suggestions are welcome too. Or feel free to tweet us at at cloudoutloudpod or email us at cloudoutloud at ndhsw.com. We hope to see you again next week for another episode of Cloud Out Loud.